Welcome to the Apawa Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, visit us on any Sunday or online at opawa.org.nz. Well, I've got to say, I'm really proud that you're here today. Hearing that wind out there, it's incredible, hey? It was cold this morning. Oh. We're, um, we're getting into uh, Job um, this morning, and uh, I want to start off with a story. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I was, when I was growing up, we had uh, a, a peculiar arrangement as kids, because my parents both worked for Qantas, and my dad, being Italian and an Italian immigrant, wanted always to come back to Italy at least once a year. So every August, we'd be on a plane heading uh, to Italy, uh, which was great because we missed out a month of school um, every year, and we got to travel a lot, which was pretty cool for kids. Um, one year, I, I was 10 years old, and uh, my dad wanted to go and visit, uh, on the way to Italy, he wanted to visit my um, my mum's brother, my uncle, who was living in Brazil at the time, and uh, because of the cash issues with Brazil, they don't like money and bringing in or taking out and all that kind of stuff, so he thought, I better go get some uh, traveller's checks from the American Express building in downtown Sydney. So he got me to come along with him. We hopped on the train. Um, and, you know, we got downtown. For those of you who know Sydney, we were in Martin Place. And there's the American Express building. Got the traveller's checks. And uh, I noticed as I was w- we're walking out of the traveller's checks place, I, was, I had to go to the bathroom. So I turned to my dad and I said, Dad, I've got to go to the bathroom. And, and being dad, who I now realise I'm not much different, um, yeah, he said, can you hold it? And, you know, us guys, we can hold it, right? Yes, we can hold it. And I thought, well, uh, I guess. <laughs> Ten years old, you know, you don't measure time really that much. And so we, we walk down to the train station. We, we go down and we're waiting for the train. And I'm realising that, that, that this may not be something I can hold. So I turned to Dad and I said, Dad, um, I need to go to the toilet. And he's like... Well, look, you know, we're going to catch a train. Within 30 minutes, we'll be home. Can you hold it? And, you know, being the 10-year-old kid, looking up to Dad, uh, yeah, yeah, Dad, I think I can. Um, <laughs> we get on the train, and, you know, back in those days, uh, we called them the Red Rattlers. They were these old trains. The doors were always open, and the seats were kind of bouncy when you sat in them, right? And, and you know, the train takes off, and I'm sitting in my chair, and I'm like, this is not going to hold and, and uh, you know, next thing, and I'm just imagining my dad for a moment because the place started to smell pretty badly, very quickly. And I could just see him look down at me, he goes, you didn't, did you? And I looked up to him, I go, I told you I needed to go. <laughs> and, um, and he looked at me, he goes, one or two? Two. <laughs> and uh, while I was seated, and, you know, I, I remember this moment distinctly because it started to go down my leg. And, and, and my dad looked down and he saw my shoes and he goes, get up now. <laughs> so we're standing out because there's this little entry when you get on the train and those doors are wide open. So, you know, air's coming in and out and he's thinking that will just kind of, but, you know, I'm looking down and I'm like, uh. the worst part of it was walking home from the train station. Um, and as I was standing in, in the bathroom and my grandmother was hosing me down, I was thinking to myself, I really, really need to be aware of what advice I get. Dad thought I could hold it. 
I knew better, <laughs> and I should have been more communicative about that. So ever since then, I've been quite affirmative about how I feel and think. Um, and, and, and it's interesting because, um, you know, in life we tend to receive advice and sometimes we take that advice or, or that, that counsel and, and, and we ignore really what we're feeling actually inside. Now, it's kind of funny when you're you know, in that kind of a situation, but, but how we actually direct our lives we tend to kind of suppress what we really actually is in us. We know the truth. And we allow other people to kind of direct us in, those, in, in, that, in that way. You with me? The last thing we read in Job was a wonderful piece of advice Job's wife gave him. <laughs> Curse God and die. And, um, you know, in that very moment when Job is laying in the dust uh, covered in sores, lost everything, the wonderful piece of advice he gets from his wife, the one person who should know and should be there to support him, curse God and die. That's pretty tough, isn't it? Well, it doesn't get better for Job because now we're going to encounter three of his friends. And it certainly doesn't get better for him. And you kind of start to wonder, what is it that drives poor old Job? Well, I'm going to share with you this morning just a little bit of advice, and that is I'll give you six questions to ask when you do receive any kind of counsel or advice, but not only when you receive it, also when you give it. I think it's good for you to know. And the six questions are very basic, and they're going to be based on these three, or these, the two lots of three. So it's what, where, who, is it, is it, is it? Think you'll remember that? Okay. The first question is, what does God say? What does God say? Now, it's interesting for Job, uh, his friends come along and they start giving him advice. They start telling him stuff. And this is what it should be. Well, this is what's happened and this is that. But never once does it seem like that they stop and ask, what does God say? A lot of our own knowledge of God is based on what other people say. Have you realized that? A lot of you don't even realize that your theology, how you believe God, is actually based on what other people have told you. I've had a number of people who sit up, who after I've preached, they come up to me and they say, I'd never heard that before. And I kind of look at them and think, but, but it's, here it is. It, it's It's there. And, you know, so a lot of what we uh, get from God is what we've heard from others, not from our own investigation of who God is. It's interesting, um, when, when, when I had proposed to Monica and we were getting married, we were going down to visit her dad, uh, who was living in, like, this small, quiet town in South Carolina. And it, literally, he lived on a road called Mount Zion Church Road, and there was just his house on that road and Mount Zion Church. And it was out in the middle of nowhere. Um, Mount Zion Church didn't look like it had been even visited in the last maybe decade or two. Um, and there was his little house. And I remember being warned by Monica, just be aware, it's Dad. We didn't get along very well. <laughs> you know? So when I came in, you know, I wanted to be you know, upright and say, hey, I, w- I would like to get your permission to marry your daughter. And, and then as I did that and we were talking together, he would start giving me advice about Monica, as a good father would. 
oh, you need to watch out for Monica because, and then you've got to vote. And, you know, I'm sitting there listening. I'm going, are you trying to convince me not to marry her? Is this the point? (laughs) All this advice he'd given me. And I realized that as I got to know Monica, how wrong he actually was. And that sometimes if I would have based my opinion of Monica based on what her father would say or even what her siblings would say, I'd have a very different view if I'd not gotten to know her personally. Why? Because dads will only get to know their kids so much. We are stuck within our minds that they drop their underwear and they can't clean their rooms and they're not responsible. But you know what? Kids do grow up. And they do learn to become responsible. And they do learn to pick up their stuff. And there is an intimacy about them that we will never know as parents. But that their partners, when they marry them, will know. And as I've gotten to know Monica, I'm like, man, if I had known Monica by what other people have said, not that there were that many people saying that bad things about you, but (laughs) if I had known her just by that and not actually intentional about getting to know her, I would have a different picture of her. And it's the same with God. In our relationship of God, it's all good and well that you hear me and you hear me talking. But you need to get to know him personally. How do you do that? How do you do that? How do you do that? Absolutely. Reading his word. Um, This is what uh, Eliphaz says in Job chapter 5, verse 27. He says, We have studied life and found all this to be true. Listen to my counsel and apply it to yourself. What is he missing there? Exactly. Where's God? Good on you that you studied life. Yeah, we've, we know it. This is the way it is. Well, well good on you, but, but what does God say? What's God's word say? You know, in Hebrews, it says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, it's all good to have these life skills. I I want to knock those. They're important. But if you really want to get to the heart of it, oh, it says right here, the word of God gets right to the bottom of it. How can you go wrong? So if that's the case, maybe our knowledge of God should be better than our life skills. Because as Job sat in despair, his friends came along, And they're missing the one thing that they should be looking for, and that is, what does God say in this? What is God saying? Now, I'm not saying that's easy to do when you're in despair or you're in pain or you're in hurt. But you know what? If you know God, I will guarantee you, you'll know what he's thinking for you in that moment. I know Monica so well that if somebody called me up and pretended with her voice, as good as that voice may sound, I'll know immediately whether that's her or not. By the way she talks, by her intentions, I can walk into the house and know exactly how she's feeling without her saying a word. If I hear loud bangs in the kitchen, 
I know, to not go into the kitchen. You know, we know this as partners, those of us who've been married for a long time, we can feel it. We don't even have to hear it. We don't even have to have them say it to us. We know it. We, we sense it as we walk in. Why? Because we know them so well. That if anyone got into a Monica suit and dressed up like Monica and spoke like a Monica, and I could immediately say, that's not Monica. It's the same with our relationship with God. In these moments of hurt and pain, if we know God so well, then we would know what, he is, what, he, what he's wanting to say to us. We're in tune with where he's at, even through the pain and the hurt. It's like people who wake up mornings and they'll say, yep, it's going to be a cold day today, I feel it in my bones. Why? Because they've just, they just know it. They've been in that weather for so long that it just clicks with them. It's the same with our relationship with God. It's got to click with us. It's got to click with us. So, as... as Job is being confronted by his friends. The question is, what does God say? The next thing where the where is, where are your emotions? So what does God say? Where are your emotions? This is a tough one. And the reason being is that emotions can be almost like a filter. They tend to drown out everything else that's around us. We tend to see things differently. We tend to react differently when our emotions are either elevated or lowered or whether we're excited or happy or when we're hurt and sad. We tend to react in a way. And for most of us, those emotions can be quite overwhelming. So when you're in a situation and you're trying to discern, well, where are my emotions? Where am I at? How am I feeling? Am I hearing things right? Am I in the right place? And sometimes it takes a bit of maturity to say, you know what, I can't hear anything right now. I need to step back. You with me? How many times have I heard people, oh, my gut is telling me. Let me tell you, if there's anyone who's got a gut around here, it's me. And it talks quite a bit to me. We were talking about triathlons earlier. I do a triathlon every night. Entrees, mains, and desserts. And I win usually all the time. Now, when you start telling me I've got a gut feeling, my antennas go up and say, I'm worried. If you say, I feel this way, or this is the way I feel, I'm worried. You know why? Feelings lie. Guts have a tendency to be self-centered. And the moment you can't detach from your gut or from your feeling is a moment when you are caught by it. Uh, in Jeremiah, the poor guy, everyone who knows Jeremiah knows this guy, knows he's called what? The whinging prophet, the crying prophet. But he says such powerful words. And one of them here is, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And this is where we go back to that first What is God saying? And then where are your emotions? Where are you at? Can you identify that maybe you're not in the right space? Job did. Job understood that. He knew he wasn't in the right place emotionally, so he chose not to curse God. 
He chose not to die. He felt, no, you know what, even though that's, that, that's most probably what he was feeling, he chose, no, I can't give in to that. That's not right. I can't do that. Another verse. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Unfortunately for a lot of us, our heart plans our ways and our heart establishes our steps. We actually act out what we're feeling. We actually put to the, to the road what, what we're about in our heart, when at the end of the day, it should be the Lord who establishes the steps we take. With me? So where are you at emotionally? Where are you at emotionally? You know, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Why would you do that? Curse God and die. And you know, there are a lot of people today, because of pain, because of hurt, and because of suffering, choose to curse God and die. They do. Because they don't know any better. And I think that's a failing on our side. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Let what's in my heart and what comes out of my mouth not be a reflection of what I really am, but it may be a reflection of who you are, God. And so Job is here in the dust. He's confronted by his wife. Now his friends come along and he has lost it. He's feeling like he's got no support, but he holds fast to this. Let the words of my mouth and then the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord. Because you know what? If I let it go, my heart just wants to die. I can't handle this anymore. I can't. So when confronted with advice or counsel, what does God actually say? Where are your emotions when you're hearing this? And who is it coming from? Who is it coming from? You know, I've done marriage counseling for the last, well, I don't know how many years now, but the, 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 one of the most typical things I hear from guys in particular with wives. Well, I tell her it's like this. She doesn't listen to me. When someone else comes in the house and they say, do it like this, they listen, then she listens to them. Isn't that true, guys? Uh, a couple of guys are not willing to put their hands up and say yes. <laughs> but it's a typical, I mean, I've heard it on three different continents. It's not just a Kiwi or an Aussie. It's all over the world. Guys who complain, I tell her it's like this, she doesn't believe me, somebody else says the same thing I said, and she believes them. And, and, and this is a challenge for us, because I don't think it's just between husbands and wives, I think we all do it. Sometimes we need to stop and think, who is it coming from? Is this a person of integrity? Is this a person with whom there is value? And regardless of whether they're right or wrong, do we accept who it's coming from? Because I think we're harder on the people we know more and, and less harder on the people we don't know. Um, media tends to get a lot of um, 
positive things. You know, you read stuff and you think, how can people believe that? But they do. Why? You don't know who's writing that. You have no idea who, who that person is. And yet somebody close to you who you know will say something and you don't, you never take it to, to heart. Who is it coming from? Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the company of fools will suffer harm. This is an important point. Who is it coming from? Who are you seeking advice from, counsel from? Who are you hanging around with? We talk to our kids. Watch out who you hang out with. They may lead you astray. But we don't realize that we don't take that advice as we get older ourselves. And we find ourselves in the company of fools. We take their advice. We let them tell us how we feel. Somebody comes to you and says, you're wrong. You should have done it this way. And we listen to it. We take it on board. And then we start to berate ourselves, not realizing the person who said that is not wise counsel. It's some fool that we've allowed to come into our lives and knock us down. And instead, we've got people who love us, who care for us, who want to lift us up, and we choose not to listen to them. So we keep them at hand's distance. Because why? Because our pride, or because they're not saying the things that we want to hear, or because we're not getting involved, whatever the reason might be. And so we allow these fools to come in our lives and give us bad counsel. Choose the wise. Who is it in your life? Who is it? Who is the person coming to you? Now, poor old Job, he had three friends. And unfortunately, well, not cool. Those who trust their own insight are foolish, but anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. Next week, I'm going to talk a bit about wisdom. Because we get into chapter 28 of Job and there's this interaction between Job and God. And there's a first real understanding of what, what is wisdom. But wisdom is an important fact in, in how we interact with each other. Who is it that's giving you counsel? Are they trusting on their own insights or are they returning to what God is saying? Where is God in this picture? What do we do? What does God say? Where are your emotions? Who is it coming from? And then there's a very basic thing. Is it factual? Have you ever gotten advice where you sit there and you think they've completely missed it? Have you ever had that feeling where you just kind of sit there and they're telling you, oh, you need, oh, and you're just sitting there going, oh, hang on a sec, you, you actually, no. And we forget to actually use as a benchmark, well, if I'm getting advice... First question I need to ask, is it factual? Is it real? Is it truth? Some people, you know what they do? They hear these lies and they take it on board. You know why? Well, there must be something wrong with me. I must be wrong here. Because I've either completely missed the mark or, kind of like my dad, hold it. I couldn't hold it. And I should have just said, you know what, I can't hold it. Now, if you want to deal with the mess afterwards, that's your deal. Well, it's actually my deal. But, you know, there's got to be fact to what's going on, what's being said. And here's a problem because Job is faced with his friends who are giving him lies. Well, they're not actually lies, but they don't apply. Here's what Zophar says. He says, get rid of your sins and leave all iniquity behind you. Does that apply to Job? 
We saw at the beginning of, of chapter 1 of Job, Job was an outright, upright and outstanding individual, blameless before God. He was great. He was, he was one person that, that, that God was pointing out. Isn't he good? So does this verse apply to him? That's bad counsel. There's nothing wrong with what he's saying. Yeah, get rid of your sins uh, and leave all iniquity behind you. Great. That, that, that applies. It's not a, not a bad thing to say, but it doesn't apply in this situation. And all of a sudden what it does is it turns it back onto Job, who needs to then look at himself and say, but, but uh, oh, yeah, you're right. Maybe there is a sin in my life. Oh, 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 my gosh, I need to go think about this. When the truth of the fact is, actually, that's not fact in Job's life. His other friend, Eliphaz, says this, My experience shows that those who plan trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same. Does that help Job? Is that a good thing to say? What's that going to do to Job? If he's not in the right place, and if he's not thinking this through, he's going to take it personally. But it doesn't actually apply to him, so why say it? It's not factual. You know yourselves. You know where you're at. And so if I come to you and say, hey, you need to do this, you can look at that and say, well, hang on a second. Do I really? Am I really? Actually, no, I'm not. Thanks for the advice, but no, it's wrong. It doesn't, it doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. It's wrong. It's not factual. Is it necessary? Is it necessary that Job has to sit for 40 chapters to listen to his friends? Do you think that's necessary? When you're hurting, when you're in pain, do you want to sit down for 40 chapters and listen to your friends tell you things that really don't apply to you? Would you like that? You're in a business meeting and you're dependent on a result. Is it necessary to hear the whole story behind this when all you really want is the result? You've got to think about the advice you receive and say, is it truly necessary? 40 chapters of going to and fro, where most of the times, no matter how good what's written there, and there's a lot of good written there, it's not like it's bad stuff. It just doesn't apply to Job. And so you think poor old Job's listening to stuff that he doesn't need to be listening to. You know, the, um, the most misused an abused verse in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow, you to be, not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show a way out so that you can endure. We turn that onto grief. We turn that verse and say, God will not burden you more than you can stand. But the problem with that is, that's not what he's saying there. 
So when it comes to grief, you can't use that verse. It's not right. Um, Harriet Schiff, in her book, The Bereaved Parent, she wrote this, um, she, uh, dealing with her losing her son. He had a young son who had a heart malfunction. And so he, they went in to operate, a regular heartbeat or something like that. When they went in to operate, something went wrong and he died. Young boy, and he's eight or nine years old. And her pastor came to her and said, Harriet, you're strong. God knows you're strong. He won't give you burdens that you can't bear because he knows you're strong. You can get through this. And so you know what she said back to him? So if I was weak, would my son be alive now? So if I'm weak, are you telling me that my son will be alive right now? Just because I'm strong, he's taking my son's life away from me? That's when we use scripture wrongly. He's talking about temptation, not about grief. The burdens we carry are heavy, which is the reason why, and we've talked this so many times, he wants us to live in community. Why? Why? So we can carry each other's burdens. He doesn't want you to be a lone ranger. He doesn't want you to be living off on your own. He wants you in community. And that's what community is about. That's what God's church is about. Yes, it's about growing in Christ. Yes, it's growing spiritually. But it's also to help each other carry our burdens because life is tough. Life is overwhelming. And through all our baggage, through all our hurt and pain, and believe me, all of you here, you think you're good looking, but let me tell you, your baggage makes you look ugly. It's the truth. My baggage makes me look ugly. But you know what? When I'm in this place with all of you, Christ makes me look good and makes you look good. And so we carry each other's burdens. Is it necessary? You know what that pastor should have done? Put her arm around her and sat in silence. Because there's nothing you can say to make it right. You know, I'm a guy who talks a lot. Makes me a good preacher sometimes, or sometimes not so good if I'm preaching longer than so many minutes. And I always have the need to say something. And there are times when tragedy hits, when you just, there's nothing you can say that's going to help. You know what helps? Nelson Mandela was in prison, uh, and, and his son died, and he asked. Uh, to be allowed to go to the funeral of his son. He wrote this in his biography, and they wouldn't allow him out. The only thing they allowed him was that they allowed him out of solitary confinement. And he said he sat on the bench in this prison completely. He said the pain was incredible. I couldn't even go to my son's funeral. I hadn't seen my son in years. He dies. I can't even go there. And he said he was so downcast. He sat there. He said one prisoner came up, sat down next to him, and just held his hand for eight hours straight. He didn't have the strength to get up. He didn't want to eat. But this guy just sat right next to him and held his hand. And he said that was the most brilliant thing, the most beautiful thing he'd ever felt. The guy didn't ask anything from him. The guy didn't didn't say anything. He just sat right next to him. 
And when you read in Job, the first things his friends do, for seven days they just sit with him in silence. But like good guys, they can't hold their silence forever. So they've got to say their piece. But if they just kept it in silence, sometimes that's the best thing. Is it necessary? Is this advice I'm getting, this counsel I'm getting, is this really necessary? What I'm giving to somebody, is it really necessary that I need to say all these things? Sometimes silence is the best thing. A touch, a physical touch, let me just let you know that I'm close to you, is all that is needed. Guys, you understand what I'm saying? Because I think the ladies understand this better than us. But I'm serious. We need to understand that Is it necessary? And let's not abuse scripture because God doesn't want us to be overburdened. But he hasn't given us a way out. This is life. The way out is your community around you. And the last thing we need to look at is is their acknowledgement. So what does God say? What does he say to the situation? Where are your emotions? Are you able to understand what's going on? Are you too involved emotionally that you need to maybe step away? Who is it coming from? Is this a valued friend, a person who has integrity that you're hearing it from? Is it factual? Are they actually saying the truth? Because even if you do have a good friend that's close to you, sometimes they don't know the situation. And they'll give you advice, and you might give advice that's just completely off guard. Is it necessary? Do you need to say stuff? And the last thing, is there acknowledgement? Not once in the whole book of Job, not once, do any of his friends turn to Job and say, this is what God is doing. This is what, let's, let's seek God out in this. Let's pray over this. Let's ask God. There's none of that. It's just straight out advice. This is what you've done. So this is what has happened. And this is what must have happened because it happened this way. And A plus B equals C. And that's the way it is. But never once did they stop and say, let's seek God together. Never once do they stop. In fact, it gets kind of heated in their discussions. One friend, uh, Bildad, says this, If your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hands of their transgressor. You know what he's saying, basically? Hey, your son sinned, they deserve to die. Wow. And how do you know that? Bildad, thank you very much, buddy. High five. I feel so much better now. And there I am wondering why my children are dead. You imagine turning to anybody and saying to them, your kids have sinned, they deserve to die. We don't realize as Christians that sometimes, and I've heard this, not, not here, but other places, where they say things where you just kind of scratch your head and you think, where did that come from? Do you realize how bad that sounds? My lecturer at college, um, I've always had a go-to. I've had it since before Isabella was born. And we were standing around after, I think it was my first semester in college, and he looked at me and he says, never trust a man with a moustache. And I kind of looked at him, and right behind him was this big painting of Jesus. Uh, yeah, he's got one. So I shouldn't trust him, right? And he just kind of looked at me like, oh, <laughs> I'm just joking. Yeah, stupid. 
I know it's joking sometimes, but you don't think it through. And we say things to people without realising our humanness. We don't realise our humanness. The acknowledgement that I want to hear from his friends, you know what I'd want to hear? I don't really know what's going on. Can we acknowledge that? Do we have the strength to just say, I don't know? Why do we always have to find answers? Why can't we just, hey, I don't know. But hey, I'm here with you. Hey, I'll support you. I'll sit down and hold your hand or put an arm around you. Why, why, why can't we just do that? Why do we have to theologize everything? There must be a reason to this because the Bible says that this, this, and this. And if you add that to Deuteronomy chapter 23 and cross-reference that with Le- Leviticus chapter 4, and if you go then to what Jesus says in 1 John chapter 3, and, and at the end of it, you're kind of like, what? Uh, where, where, huh? He can't give you too much burdens because he says your burdens will be light. Thank you very much. My kids are dead. I don't need to hear that. What I'd really like to hear is that you're still my friend and that you still want to be beside me and that you love me and that I'm not alone. Because my wife just told me to curse me and die. Curse God and die. And I don't have much left. And it'd be really good to know that there is something left. You know... it's really interesting, we don't have the full picture of things. We just don't. And we need to acknowledge that. Okay, no matter how many theological books you read, no matter how many Bible versions you've read or languages you've studied, at the end of the day, you're not God. You don't know the full picture. There's a really interesting story in John chapter 9, verse 1. Here uh, is a... Is a um, Basically says, as they passed, they saw a blind man who was blind from birth. Okay, So the apostles, they kind of turned to Jesus. They said, who sinned, the man or the parents of this man? And, and, and you know, they think they've got the answer. It's got to be one or the other. It's A or B. But they've actually missed it completely. And Jesus says, it was not for that this man had sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. What kind of response is that? Do you believe they've missed the point? They think they've got it. It's either the man or the parents. One of them has sinned. Almost going back to Job again. And they're in the New Testament here. They hadn't read Job, had they? Oh, it's one of them sinned. And sometimes we are that way as well. Because we see a situation. Well, then it has to be either this or this. Without realizing that just maybe, just maybe. We, we don't have the full picture. Just maybe, just maybe, we might be well off the mark. And so I've been learning, because I tend to be a pretty much do or die kind of guy, that's black and white, but I've been learning over time that just sometimes I might have it wrong. And I'm learning to try and tell people that I might have this wrong. It would have been great if one of those guys talking to Job just stopped for a moment and said, we might have this wrong. Acknowledgement that I'm a human being and I don't really have uh, it all. Some of my best mentors are ones who acknowledge immediately their failings. Dude, 
This is who I am. This is how I've done things. It's not always right. Come and journey with me. That's the power of just acknowledging who I am as a human being. You know, at the end of the day, we are stuck between deciding who we are and who God wants us to be. And the problem we have is what Ephesians chapter 4 says. You don't want to be tossed about by what people say, what the wind, and we're hearing the wind today, has a knack of blowing things over and we kind of get tossed around with it. But that we may be crafted in him based on his word, on his teachings, secure in the knowledge of who we are. Because at the end of the day, I'm not going to get all your answers. You're not going to get all the answers to the questions that you have. But I'm secure enough in who God is that my faith is not going to be blown over by some wind. What is God saying to you? And for some of you, this is a question you need to face right now. What is God saying to you? What is his intention right now? Some of you are going through some very bad situations. Just things that the rest of us kind of shake our heads and think, how, how would we handle that? And, you know, my heart wants to try and help people, and sometimes I just need to shut up. Because emotions are very difficult to deal with, so maybe I need to take a step back. Where are your emotions? Who is it coming from? You know what? Husbands, wives, take heart in what your spouse says. Don't, don't berate it. Your friends who have known you for years, your pastors, your leaders, don't berate them. Give them ear. Don't let outside sources who have not invested in you decide for you how you should feel and not feel or how things are going and not going. Value those around you. Is it factual? Are you getting the truth in this? Don't question yourself. Question what you're hearing. I've always told you, don't just rely on what I'm telling you up front here. Go to the word and make sure it's right. Challenge me on it. And some of you have. Good. Because if anything, I've gotten you back into the word. Is it necessary? Do you need to say anything at all? Is what being said to you really something you want to be holding on to? And lastly, is there acknowledgement? You're a human being. You know, at the end of the day, we don't have all the answers. And if the person's coming to you saying they've got all the answers, yeah, just be a wall. Be, be, be very weary of them. Weary of them. person that doesn't acknowledge their humanness, there's a problem there. Anyone here a complete and absolute perfect human being? Oh, oh, get your hand down. (laughs) We're not. None of us are. We're all on the same page. You know that? Some of us might know a little bit more. Some of us might have a little bit more experience in, in areas and such. So we seek them out in those areas. But you know what? At the end of the day, we're all in the same playing field. We're all broken. And it doesn't matter whether you know, your marriage is suffering or your finances are out the window or, or your job is useless. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, what counts and what all that counts is when you get to heaven, how have you been a steward of who God is in your life?
My mentor, my first pastor I worked with, he passed away about three months ago. I saw him two days before he died and he was sitting there and he's had terminal cancer and he looked at me and says, you know what, the, what counts right now, Rob? I said, what? He goes, I don't care how many kids I've got. I don't care how many grandkids I've got. All I'm caring about is I'm about to meet Jesus. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of trying to review, have I been good for him? Have I done the best for him? Grandkids are out the window. This is a guy who's got a lot of grandkids. This is a guy who's got a lot of kids. And they're great kids. He's got a great family. But in those final days, two days later, he died. All he was thinking of is, who am I in Christ? Because you know what? That's all that matters really at the end. That's not to ignore you know, our work with our kids. I'm not trying to say that. But our relationship with God has to be number one. So that first question what is God saying has to be always, bang, number one. I don't care what you do in life. I don't care how good a businessman you are or how good a parent you are. Every day of your life, you need to be asking that same question, what is God saying? Because there's nothing that's boxed out of what God does in your life. He's everything and everywhere. What is God saying? Amen? Ask the worship team to come up. Let's sing this last hymn. We're not singing, people. I know that we sing, but we're not singing, we're worshipping. And I know those words you might have read so many times or you've sung so many times. This is not a singing practice time. This is not a time in which we just kind of come together and say, hey, I'm going to sing this out and then we can go home. This is a time for you to lift your hearts to God. You've heard a lot of what I've said. Now it's time to lift your hearts to God and say, hey, God, How do I apply this to my life now?